Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bobcast. With you as always is Bob, live in the lounge staring at the Ouija board. Tonight's guest, I'm super stoked that he's coming back on the show. Actually, I looked it up today. He was on in 2016 was his last appearance. And uh, that's Bobcast episode 107. Look, if you're from the city of Philadelphia, if you're a musician, if you're a fan of music in the city of Philadelphia, you know exactly who tonight's guest is. Uh, he's back with a brand new music video and single that's available on Spotify. You can check out. The link will be down below. With that being said, welcome back to the show, Mr. Walt Lafty. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you, Bob? It looks like you blasted off into outer space with Elon Musk, right? They're, they're <laughs> allowing long hairs now finally to go to space like we've been planning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I would assume that Willie Nelson was already there and back, but uh, apparently not. It, why, why, I mean, like, there has to be some sort of, like, secret covert mission to send Willie Nelson to space, at least. Yeah. Maybe he has been there. We don't know. Yeah. But um, 2016 was the last time I believe you were on the show. And, like, since that time, we did two shows together, right? Didn't we? I thought we did one show and then we did the, um, the, on, the Whole Foods. Yes, yes, that's correct. Right. One podcast, right? So this is your second podcast. So this is I believe second. so. This is your sequel podcast, so welcome to the official <laughs> production. The budget is zero dollars. Uh, we have a vacuum cleaner over here. We have an old closet. That's awesome. An original painting. Um, since 2016, I mean, I've seen some of the stuff you've been up to, but in the interim, though, since I haven't seen you face-to-face -face or now through Zoom, obviously with the pandemic and stuff like that, but otherwise, how are you doing? I'm, I'm all right. Um, I, I, you mentioned, I think, at the very beginning, before we even jumped into the official show, you know, dad brain, I think that that's um, a great way to describe most situations that I find myself in these days. How old is River now? He's uh, eight. River is eight, eight years old, and, now I, and I also have a, um, a daughter who will be two in uh, about a week, a week and a half. That's awesome. Congratulations yeah. on that since the last time. Nice. So that's a major, major achievement. Um, <laughs> keeping, them, keeping them alive, right? Keeping, yeah. I know, right? I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a daily thing, you know what I mean? But I mean, it is the major goal is to keep them alive, but also to, to nurture them. You know, now that your boy is about eight years old, how do you, like, isn't it crazy how you see, like, his perspective of, like, the world? Like, you see it again through, like, a boy's eye? Uh, I try my best to, I think. Um, I think it's interesting uh, to watch him He's not a big, he's a big fan of listening to music, but he's not, he has no interest, zero interest in playing instruments, um, which is strange because just, I, you know, I have five sisters. My dad is a musician. Uh, we have parent, we have family that apparently goes all the way back to vaudeville and um, probably beyond, I would assume. But, um, you know, it's just, we have a long history of just dancing around with music, but he, lo he loves dancing to it, doesn't love playing with it. So, um, well, were, you know, were, I don't, were you into music like right away? Like as a kid? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't even an option in my house. You just, my dad was playing, um, a Wurlitzer in the basement with a live band, you know, playing covers and stuff. So I, I just always was around it. And, um, I feel like it was just a, it's just a thing. Like I like learning a language. It really um, like learning a language without a doubt. I agree with that statement. I, see, I didn't pick up music, um, playing an instrument until, 12, 12 or 11 or 12, I think it was. Yeah, so it was like, it wasn't like something that I grew up with because my parents are not musical, you know, or artistic, which is kind of crazy. It's like, I guess it skipped their generations and then like was like instilled in me. But I mean, 
I guess you can like, and also too, like I've talked about in the last, in the interim, I've talked a lot about how like, as adults, we kind of like stop learning. You know, we get to a certain point where we're like, well, I've got a degree and that's, that's good for me. <laughs> Done. You know what I mean? Like there's no way that I'm going to learn something at age 40. You know what I mean? Like people just kind of shut down in a way. It's like, I, I like learning something new. You know what I mean? I'm not intimidated by learning something I want to know about, you know? And I find that um, with music, it's kind of like never ending. You could just keep, you know, figuring out rudiments and stuff like that. Um, I remember the last time we spoke, you said that you were working on your music room. How's that coming along? Is it complete? Oh my God. I completed my music room for the most part. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, then had my, then my wife had our daughter, our second child. And um, no matter how much I had attempted to soundproof, insulated, added extra you know i did everything i possibly could and if i strum an acoustic guitar in that room on the lightest bit it just somehow resonates and my wife has the hearing of, of like a i don't even know i, I jokingly say a bat because you know she's been you know i mean you know it's like whenever your your spouse's you know uh our spouses i think are are um they're like our sounding boards, so to speak, for a lot of things. And um, her, she could hear me writing an idea from a mile away, probably, um, yeah, be able to pick it out. I think that you also enjoy writing late at night. It's like when the ideas like flow, when it's like really quiet. So it's like it's it's such a torture too. Cause it's like I can't do it no more. I'm not allowed to play. even like a bass guitar. I can't even pick up because she can hear it through the walls. She's like, what yeah. are you? It's like. 11.30 at night, your son's asleep. What are you doing playing, like, you know, <laughs> in the meantime by, like, Space Hog? Yeah. I mean, I find that, you know, um, being a dad and still being musically active, you can juggle it. I, I thought before I became a dad that I would not be able to continue. For some mm -hmm. reason, I had the preconceived notion that, like, you stop, you know what I mean, learning stuff. And it's, like, all through your child's eyes. But it's, it's not that way because they learn through you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. crazy hearing. I'm sure you you have the same thing. Like River say something that sounds exactly like, you know, either you or your, your wife and you're like, wow, dude, you know what I mean? Like, how did this happen? You know? Yeah. You find that it's hard to, to relate to people who are our age without kids? No, not, I mean, not necessarily. I think it's, I think it's one of those things that when you like, at least with, with River, you know, we had uh, friends that were our age that were pl planning on having a family but had not begun yet. And they would always do, you know, the comparison of, um, you know, how pets are like children. And, um, you know, until I had a child, I wholeheartedly agreed with that statement. I would always go, oh, yeah, okay, pets, pets are like kids. You're taking care of something. But I feel like that after the, by the time I had my second child, I think I really, really didn't quite understand going into the second child just how demanding being, um, being a parent is. And, and uh, it's it just, you know, once it starts multiplying, it's like, you know, you feed one child and then a minute later, there's another request from the other room for a snack or something like that. And you're literally trying to juggle things or, you know, um, pay bills. So I think that, that on that level, it's hard to relate more from their perspective, I would guess, you know, when you say like, if you're a half an hour late for nowadays, you don't have to worry about dinner parties or anything like that. But, um, you know, but if you were late running late for something, they really wouldn't quite, you know, grasp that why are they consistently 20 minutes late showing up to something? Well, I'm, yeah. 
Also, too, uh, I'm dragging a human being around with me. <laughs> also, too, like if you're in a social situation where it's time to go because they're upset, it's like you can pull the ripcord. You're out of there. You know, what mm-hmm. I mean? nobody gives you shit. Whereas, like you know, back in the day, without a kid, like, oh, you're leaving. Like, I gotta go, man. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, dude, I well, I mastered the art of the ghost. Um, yeah, I have to say before <laughs> that. I mean, I do miss ghosting in a way. I miss the social. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I mean, like, the last couple of guests who have come on, the, I've been doing, like, a bunch of these Zoom calls with musicians and stuff like that, and there's various different perspectives of how, you know, the music has changed since, you know, the pandemic began. Like, I noticed that, like, you know, you, I mean, like, for one, you came back with, like, a really original song and a great music video. Um, do you find that the whole performing live on, you know, Facebook is outdone? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, well, I, I did like more of a drunken version. Um, yeah, what happened to this drunken version? Like, you don't do that no more, right? The two, well, you got two kids, right? So two AMs out with two kids. Yeah, I, I actually, well, what I did was a lot of those were, I was working on ideas for a record, right? Uh, that was the idea was that I was, um, you know, uh, you know, you work all day and you're trying to balance out creativity Mm-hmm. And the things that drive us, you know, as, as you alluded to earlier, um, you know, you want to, as a dad, you want to still be creating in some way as best you can. So I found that, you know, when I was in my truck, I had these 20 minute intervals, hour intervals sometimes of just quiet. And I would just turn off the radio and hum melodies. And every day I would do this. And it could be three melodies in one day or 20 melodies in one day or one melody or none. And then at the end of the week, I would do, you know, what I refer to as a Saturday night song, right? Where I would just get, you know, a bunch of Manischewitz or Jack Daniels or something. Uh, and I would just start drinking and I would sit there and go through my phone memos mm-hmm. for the week. And I would say, which melody. You record them voice memos, right? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that's one of the wonderful things about, about carrying these, you know, giant textbooks in our, in our pocket these days, you know, is the, the availability to, record it you used to have those i'm sure you remember them the cheesy digital recording devices that took tape and then you know eventually it went to you know fully digital but you had to sort through each memo you couldn't really name them anything it, it became a a bit cumbersome just finding ideas at, at a point and with the, you know i've been i've just have an iphone uh, xr um you know they had the voice memo option and so i would do all of these voice memos and if one or two of them you know, stood out in a particular way, I would name it quickly if I had a title or something. And then I would go through these at the end of each week on Saturday, which would be, and the only reason I picked Saturday is because I work six days a week. So my Saturday night song, right, was basically the only day that I could actually wake up late uh, with a hangover. If I had, you know, been working on something to two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning or sometimes four o'clock in the morning, if I couldn't do that the rest of the week. So I would pick that one night kind of strategically and um and sift through these ideas and 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 that was all to getting towards the purpose of exercising i wanted to exercise uh, i'd read a book at the time about basically the writer's block is is a bit of a myth and it's all about like going to the gym almost if you're doing these exercises every single day if you're writing something every single day you're forcing yourself to open up doorways and open up channels in your mind and you know nora whatever the hell they call it smarter people than me have names for it um, 
you're just creating these, these lines or these roads for creativity that are, you can turn them on and off at a certain point. And I, and I finally felt like, um, because of that process, because of writing every day, I'd finally gotten to that point where I could legitimately sit down at any point now after well over 20 years of doing this. And I could say, I want to write a song about this. I would pick that topic and I would sit down and write the song. And, um, and, and the Saturday night songwriting was a great process in, in doing so. Uh, but it, it's like a raft, you know, I, I was carrying it, you know, it's like carrying a raft with you after you already crossed the river. It's, once I got across the river, I didn't really need to do that as an exercise every day. Mm. And I didn't really need to put it on Facebook or anything as, you know, I don't, some people did enjoy it. They wanted me to keep going with it, but that, that process had to end because now an album was beginning. And, and that part, I kind of, um, I know this is kind of really roundabout way of answering your question, yeah. but good uh, I have, I, I have no, I have no, I'm sorry. It's good podcast material. Uh, I had I, I had just had no way of um I had I had no way of knowing that a pandemic would bring about this extremely insane kind of I mean in some ways it is a little crazy. Other ways it's a bit of a renaissance, I would assume, for people because a lot of people that are financially able to stay put, people that do have resources and uh, happen to be musicians now are found, finding themselves in a position that's probably unprecedented, at least in my lifetime. I'm 39 years old. Um, you know, I've never experienced anything. And, you know, I've been blessed enough to work through all of this, but a lot of people have not been able to. Yeah. Um, uh, and those that are working from home are, you know, if they're able to work from home or, if, you know, I think most of my sisters actually work from home. I have five sisters. Like, we like to think about the odds of that, the mathematical odds of that, just having having five siblings and all of them are able to work for the most part from home. That, that says something about, I don't even know what, just a lot that says something. It is. Uh, so I think the live thing is, is not, it's not, it's, it's getting to a point now where I think it's going to be, um, it's going to have to up the level because the, mm-hmm. the casual playing, in front of people, you know, that's always going to have a place, I would assume. Mm-hmm. But for, for many people that are really, really, really into it, like, uh, like my buddy, Nick, um, if, if you have if you, if you know of Nick Perry and, uh, you know, there's Nick Perry and the underground thieves now. And he, he's not just going to set up, you know, in a room and play, he's going to set up tapestries behind them and lights and, yeah, and the whole nine. He's going to kind of try and create a vibe. Which of, um, drive-in movie theaters, right? Like, I think there's still yeah. the- yeah that's also too like something that i never foresaw and uh you know like growing up in the 80s like that was like we saw the end of drive-in movie theaters Mm -hmm. and like i remember like there was one on ridge pike up here in ridge and chemical in plymouth meeting it was like the last of its kind and now it came back because of the pandemic and like there's musicians comedians doing outdoor shows but now it's getting cold and the pandemic's coming back so it's like going to be like forced into this area where I mean I've seen like a couple artists I think Billy Eilish or Eilish she uh, charged like thirty maybe forty bucks to see an online like performance you know I don't want to I want to still go see a concert you know I mean I want to pay money to like streams yeah. you know it's like an odd thing you know yeah I feel like I feel like that's a, that's a really interesting point because um I'm still in the middle of doing my record and uh, the producer David Ivory wanted to 
you know, stream something at some point from the studio. Mm -hmm. uh, and then everything started looking like it was getting worse. Uh, and, you know, we couldn't really have a bunch of people in the room at the same time. because It's a really, it was like a small space where we're doing it. And, um, and one of the other, you know, guys just by happenstance said, well, you know, you could charge ticket, you know, money for it. And, um, and, was, and it just feels uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know. Like it feels uncomfortable throwing a tip jar out and I get why people do it, but it feels, a, it feels a little uncomfortable to me. Um, now a lot of people have gone a step further and if they do have a tip jar, they are giving it to certain people. So like uh, instead of them taking it themselves, they'll give it to maybe the musicians. Like if I were to do something, you know, it, obviously I couldn't do something where I'm taking money off of it. It's silly, you know, uh, but Chuck Treese playing drums, you know, he's going to deserve it more than I do because his name's not, you know, on the, on the album, so to speak in big lights, you know, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not Chuck Treese's album, Tarzell. It's, it says Walt Lafty Tarzell. So, uh, uh, that kind of thing I think could make sense on a certain level, but, um, but I don't know. I, I still go back and forth about that. I think some musicians are put into a position where they feel like they have to do that if they want to make any kind of income. Um, yeah, it sucks. It sucks. I mean, time, time, time's going to really tell on this one. It's going to definitely going to change the industry on multiple levels. Hopefully for the better, but I mean, it doesn't look really good for people who were making, you know, the weekend warriors out there who were making, you know, the money at different bars and then like, you know, using that money to like get around, like it's just, it sucks. Mm. Like, oh, I mean, look at, um, <laughs> look at a, a great, great, um, um, oh, I was just first listening to the other day. Dad brain strikes again. Yeah. Total, total dad brain. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'll remember by the end of it, but it was a, a guy that's a, a local guy and, um, you know, he makes a living playing, playing out and, um, mm -hmm. He's, he's tied behind his, you know, his hands are tied behind his back right now. But. I know a few and it's like, it's so sad because it's like you want them to do the best thing and you want them to, to, you know, regain their, their confidence, you know, because it feels so good to, to hear music live, you know, uh, speaking of hearing music and feeling good. So like when the video dropped, you know, I, I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, first of all, great job, you know, on the video, uh, the, the idea too of lyric videos, if they're done right, you know, I think that they're special. It, the, video, the song I'm talking about is Way Back Home, and it's going to be off your new album. And um, I highly recommend it. Actually, you know what? We can play it right now here on the show, here on the Bobcast. Hello, 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 hello. Take another hit, pass it to the right. Honey, I could listen to you bitching all night about letting go when you should have felt tight. Driving on way back home. Did I get too high? Does a river flow? What's your alibi? Cause I think they know Everybody's blowing up my phone Driving on the way back home You and me Running around as if we got nowhere else to be Jumping in like nobody ever made us bleed Forgetting who we are and were All night about letting go when you should have felt tight Driving on the way back home Did I get too high? Does the river flow? What's your alibi? Cause I think they know Everybody's blowing up my phone Driving on the way back home Where do we 
it, pass it to the right Honey, I can listen to you bitching all night About letting go when you should have felt tight Driving on the way back home I never meant to hurt here with Walt Lafty. So yeah, Walt, great. Uh, my first question, because I'm a huge Volkswagen guy, is that your car? That is not. So I have a, a long, a long, wonderful history with hippie buses. Um, are you a fan? Are you a fan of them? First off, the well, I mean, like, my buddy Drew had a 68 Volkswagen Beetle in high school. And we, him and I both had long hair, ponytails <laughs> around this thing. You know, uh, high school security knows exactly what we're up to. You know what I mean? <laughs> He even yeah. had a suicide bar. Remember uh, the the knob? Yeah. Yeah. And we he would use it often. <laughs> and I had Thanks. this little grip thing. Volkswagens had like if you were in shotgun, you had like this little like. Disney yeah, yeah. The Theo shit handle. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Because they're because they're, they're toasters, man. They're like they're giant toasters, so the wind yeah. just blows them around. And if you're, I mean, I had a I had a '72 Super Beetle at one point um, in my younger years, and I had a. Um, Oh, when I was 18, I had a 72 camper bus where it was so rusted out. It ran great, but it was so rusted out that if you tried to open the sliding door, it would actually slide completely off. Oh, wow. And it was hilarious, though, because we would, you know, we'd be like a bunch of us would be leaving somewhere. And you see, and back then, I literally made, I mean, you couldn't buy bell bottoms for men. It was, you know, it was 2000, 2001. Yeah. It just didn't, it didn't exist. Yeah. So we would make our own. At that time, I think the fashion was like, uh, uh, like tat. Remember it was like the dudes were like getting tattoos around their arms. Like that was like. Yeah. Band tattoos. <laughs> band. Like a giant, like a, like a barbell. I got some barbed wire right here. Oh. No listeners out there who have barbed wire around their arms. <laughs> hey, you know, I too, at one point wanted to look like Pamela Anderson. It's cool. I think everybody wanted to be sure that you barbed wire for a hot second there, but mm -hmm. that's such a weird time. I'm sorry to go off on a tangent, but like, you know, the, no, it was, it, it was bizarre. Also too, like to be in hindsight, I mean, like now that I'm reflecting upon it, like that era too, you know, like you were also finding lots of success with your band, like at that time, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, you guys had, you know, kind of the same look that you have now, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> You guys were like a, you know, a young, hip Led Zeppelin of that time period going up against, um, what was the song? Uh, come, my lady, come, my butterfly, come, my lady. You know, like, yeah, oh. yeah. It was um, not Sugar Ray, but um, that, that, that band. Crazy Town, Crazy Town. 
crazy town yeah that brain sometimes just clicks over and you're like the fuck's capacitor you're like i'm i'm gone doc Let yeah so that's an interesting thing so what so, so you guys actually you know you were you were well known in japan you know like doing your thing what was it like being you while knowing who like i know who you are facing that world of materialism in the early thousands being the lead singer of a rock and roll band like did it was it a hard thing for you to oh i was right there with it so <laughs> i mean that was i was a young man like a kid in a candy store so um you know i had every i had everything that i could ever want handed to me so i mean i if there was a test back then i failed it miserably yeah uh it, it just uh, but look, you, you were in a position that not many can say they were there. You know what I mean? Like you, you guys met, I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe you guys met Eddie Van Halen once, right? I, I toured with Eddie Van Halen for um, an entire leg of a tour. Yeah. So, I mean, like you could feel the world's hurt a few weeks ago when he passed away. Then you guys have this intimate experience with him. You know what I mean? So like you, you should look fondly at those moments, not like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, I do. I do. But I, I'm saying it more in jest of, you know, when you're saying the materialistic, you know, error and, you know, and, and I was saying like, I, I was, I was literally right in it. I was in the thick of it. But did you fall prey to it? Absolutely. You did? You did absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there was points where I would always back off a little bit. And I think that's just for some reason, it's my nature as, as my best friend, Mark Melchior, who's happened to own that bus that I was driving the rhythm guitar player from Silvertide. Um, you know, I had an uncanny ability of whatever the line was, I would cross the line, immediately recognize that I crossed the line, and then I would inch my way back and apologize. So I think that it was a very easy way for me to go, all right, I, I, get, I get what's going on here. But I mean, look, it's really hard when you're 18 or 19 years old and, you know, you didn't go to college and, um, you know, all of a sudden you're in a tour bus you have a tour manager, you have sound guys, you have guitar techs, drum techs, you have, it's like a little village, you know, and you, you are in this little bubble. And I remember when we all started to recognize that something was going a little bit crazy was, I think I was in Alabama and um, my tour manager, Scotty Rock, God bless him. He, uh, I, was, I was hammered running around with a sword in the middle of Alabama. And he kind of, found me because i had i had left the bus i was just so annihilated i mean like i mean in nowadays imagine walking around alabama with a sword you'd be dead yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean something would happen to me but um just the sheer ability of me to kind of do dumb shit like that i think is a it's it's the height as my as my my best friend ted would say it's it's the height of too much fuckery yeah you know, and but but you know, I was I was blessed. Um, I always uh, I was with. Um, um, you you you've met um, my wife Amy. Um, I've been you know I've been with her for forever, and uh, she always had a really great way of kind of stopping me and saying, "Hey, I know that you've drank nothing but beer for the past five days straight and Jack and Cokes, but you need to drink water." and probably eat some food. Yeah. You know, and that would kind of like, and, and, you know, I'd be on the phone and then she'd be like, all right. And if she knew I was getting a little bit too much, she would, she would literally drop her plans, hop on a plane, fly out to where I am, stay on the bus for a couple of days and just be like, you're, you're a disaster. You're a walking disaster. You, yeah. you, you need to get your shit together. Like this is, you're, you're turning into a different human being. And I think that if you, 
I always felt bad because I have friends that they're luckily they're good now, but I have friends, um, the original guitar player of Shinedown, uh, Jason. I mean, he at one point went just off the rails, you know, and uh, it took it took a lot to get him to come back. And um, and um, he could tell stories that were probably way more intense because he just was one of those dudes that just dove head in and really experienced everything that that environment has to offer. Unfortunately, like you said, it's, it's a very materialistic world. It's a very materialistic scene. Uh, and it's very easy to get pulled in um, unless you are uh, a very well-grounded, super intelligent, highly read spiritual individual. Yeah, you know, I'm sure they exist, but like, I was never that guy. I, I try, but I mean, that's pretty difficult. I wish, I mean, like I, I, I reflect now back, you know, as, you know, 40 year old dad, you know, the early, you know, thousands of musical career. And like, I think that like, as I, like in my early thirties, I was very resentful towards it. I was just like, you know, like tried so hard, you know what I mean? got some places but didn't get ultimately where I wanted to go but then later in life that's when I start to realize you know I at least I told a story you know what I mean like some people never get to tell different stories they only tell one you know what I mean and yeah. it's, I, 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 I just I find that in, in today's world too especially in, in the COVID world where now you're limited to do you know such limited things around even the area I'm thankful for all those stories. You know what I mean? And I'm sure you are too, like to the point where you're like, wow, I'm so stoked that I did that. You know what I mean? Cause now I have everything I want, you know, and I've got my, there, there was, there was a point where I was pretty angry. I would say actually, um, I had a band that I made called automatic fire. Which I saw, and, by the way, I think we spoke about this in, in episode 107, but I think that I was there opening night and you, you that was the band with the, the AK 47 logo. Like, yep. Yeah, and yeah. from the bar. And then I think you did that maybe with Sinai too, but like tell me what happened with that band. You got angry. I mean that that I mean that band was literally, I think, the opposite end coming down that mountain of too much. Right. So so like after the Silver Tide record, you know, like two thousand I, I want to say two thousand and seven. About that, two thousand eight or nine yeah. this is. Yeah, we we got we were we were but before that leading up to it, we were you know, we were dropped from a record label, we were in litigation, I was going up to um a, you know, a room with six lawyers staring at me, excuse me, once every two weeks while they drilled me with questions and a lawyer was just, you know, grilling me on the way home and the way up. The label? Yes, it was Silver Tide, uh, error. So then after again, everything fell apart, you know, I kind of was going down and I, I did this uh, just out of spite because I had, you know, we had, our, rec our recording budget was insane. Our first album was like, it was like a $1.3 million budget or something stupid. It was ridiculous. Well, we had no idea. Crazy amount of money. Right, right. And for any measure, that's a crazy amount of money. And, and we didn't know we were spending that at the time. It was just, they, it was all, I swear, it's all scratch your back kind of bull crap. You know, was, you know, there was a guy called the drum doctor who had like a thousand drum kits there. And we didn't know what he was charging a day, but the producer insisted upon it. Everybody's paying each other's backs. And we're the young, dumb bands that come in and they all say, oh, we know better. We know better. And, you know, no matter how much I asked for receipts of anything, nobody would give me anything. And, you know, then it adds up later and you go, whatever. So, um, and I, you know, whatever, I, I, I can't, I can't, I'm not mad at that stuff anymore now. I was very much so um, during the automatic fire era because I came off, I made a record called Demos where I just had a 57 microphone 
and I moved around the room and just played the song 30 times, picked one that was on the, and then just did a bunch of songs like that. Um, it was the total, it was the antithesis of Silver Tide, everything about it. Uh, it was com- probably the rawest thing that I had done in my entire life. Um, but then after that, um, it was right around, right around that time period, actually, that one of my best friends growing up had died from an overdose or something. And to this day, we're still not quite clear what it was. Um, you know, it was, it, I had entered into, I had gone from like the height of what my great, or what I thought was the greatest experience ever to suddenly uh, one of my longest running friends was dead. My record label no longer existed. Um, yeah, I was still making money from radio play for a good two years after that, actually. I was lucky enough that I didn't have to work. But it just started to, everything it was just like, I felt like I was circling a dream. Um, so I just started, you know, hanging out at a bar uh, up in the Northeast called Penny Gardens, where I'd always gone since I was like, you know, shouldn't tell this them, them this, but 15 years old. And, uh, and uh, just over time, um, I had become probably the, one of the worst versions of myself. Uh, now music was still there and I was still putting everything I had into it, but every song was angry. There was not one song that was like that. When I listen back to that stuff now, I go, Holy crap, man. Like I just had no idea. And it just, it just literally, that's how, that's how crazy anger is and how just, it just consumes you. And, um, yeah, you know, I, had a, I had a song called Snitches Get Stitches. Like, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I can relate to everything you're saying. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening right now appreciate the candor because it's like, people don't really talk about this. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's easy to say, you know, uh, I, I'm great and all this stuff, but it's also, it's very hard to be like, well, I'm vulnerable and it hurt, you know what I mean? And I, I had to deal with it, you know what I mean? Like, it, it was something... Like, I too, like, you know, after my band broke up, I was like, well, what do I do now? Dude? You know what I mean? Like, what? I was so angry at other local bands, angry at the scene still going. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, and then now, like, in hindsight, like, it's just like, wow, I mean, what else do you do? You know what I mean? Like, you, you, when you set out to achieve a goal, nobody really wants to say that, you know. See, the thing is, too, is like, you know, if you set out to achieve a goal to paint your house this weekend, nine times out of ten on Monday, your house is done being painted. You know what I mean? No, it's not. No, it's not. No. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. Goal yeah. To become a worldwide known band who has acclaim, who has a multi album record deal. You know, it, it's, it's a tough thing, man. It, it was tough. It's tough now. I, I, what would you say, though? Because I've asked this before, like on the Bobcast. Would you say it was easier to get a record deal in the 90s or hard? easier now to get a record deal with Spotify and SoundCloud and all that shit or like back in the day when it was like, Oh, that band right there is really good. We should sign them. We don't care. If there's 20 people in the room. Uh, I think, I, I think that's not really an answerable question, so to speak, because I didn't get a record deal in the past five years. So I don't know in the Spotify era how easy or not it is uh, in the, in the, when I was signed, I think a lot of our situation came down to three factors. One, luck. Right place, right time. And what do I mean by that? And I still stand by this. We hung out everywhere. To us, it was the most exciting thing in the entire world. We were hanging out with bands like Pepper's Ghosts that were already on the circuit. And we thought that they were the 
freaking coolest thing ever. And they still are great guys. Um, we were, we were, um, who, who was bands like town hall that were playing that yeah. were amazing, amazing, insane musicians. And like, we would go and just like watch them in a crowd just be like, these guys are so goddamn incredible. Like, will we ever play to this level? Um, I, re- I saw them a few times in the area and for people who there's really not much of a footprint online of them because it was like the beginning of the internet, but their drummer, his name was Kevin pride. And mm-hmm. I remember he played the drums like no other person I'd ever seen before. It was like this, like uh, backcountry swamp, like, you know, cross stick or something. He had this weird style, man, but like, I called him egoless. I still do. Like when he cool. hit a snare, I'm sorry. You know him personally? Uh, well, my wife, my, he was, he was my wife's stepdad's um, nephew. Does he still play drums? I don't think he does. Not, not out anyway. I believe, I believe he's um, a carpenter now. Wow. I'm not positive. I think he's a carpenter and his wife is an electrician. I'm not positive though. They were such a good band, dude. They were so But, uh, but, but you know, but he made the choice. I mean, he made the choice. I, I, from what I've been told, to him, it was like, uh, you know, uh, I have done everything that I possibly could with this. And if you've watched him, as you said that you have, I believe he did. I believe that he, he had just been playing. Did he play drums? I remember being a kid in settlement music school where my father took us. And his mom had his, her kids in there. Oh, wow. So, and, and I'm pretty sure he was playing percussion and drums back then. I mean, you're talking, I was eight years old wow so he's been doing it that long and and he to me really truly the best description of him is the egoless drummer because he just played if he he didn't have to do fancy stuff if he just he just would sit out for eight bars and then hit one smack on a snare but it meant everything and it was just like it was such a such a crazy play of playing what was the song kid could or uh Kutsu Killer or something like that. Kutsu Killer. Uh, what was his name? George. What's his last name? I'm yeah. blanking right now, but I've literally watched him all the time. I still watch him on Instagram all the time. Yeah, George. George, George is still playing. I could tell you as soon as we hang up. That's his name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great band. But I mean, like, yeah, that was a cool area. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, it's easier now for me to reflect upon it. And, like, also, too, I'm sure that you also – you pick up on that gratitude that your fans have still like, you know, like that, that album that still means the world to them that they listened to. And they were like 20 years old, you know, like, and they'll still like message you about it or something every now and then. Right. And it feels good. So it's like, that's the story that I think that I, you know, enjoy the most out of is If it affected one person, I wasn't wise enough in my young years to realize that just affecting one person is just as good as affecting, you know, a billion, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? that's how you really change the world is just being, you know, positive daily, you know, and making like, you know, people happy <laughs> where they create more positivity in the world. It just doesn't happen much anymore, but. Well, I and to give you enough, to give you a piece on that about affecting one person and how that butterfly effect happens. Butterfly I've never, I've never played in South America ever mm-hmm. yet. I probably have over 10,000 fans in South America. That's amazing. Never played there once. Mm-hmm. And people literally people write me. I, I, I send out, um, I send out, um, sorry, I just lost you for a second there. I, uh, I send out, um, 
you know, t-shirts and stuff every now and then. If, if people write me that are from, you know, pretty far away places and they'll be like, oh, I just, I found you. Are you the singer of this band? That's and they're cool. usually referring to Silvertide. But, yeah. uh, you know, and then they'll, and we'll start talking a couple times. They'll be like, look, I said, if you're uncomfortable with this, that's fine, but shoot me your address. I have some CDs. I'll mail you something, you know, and then I'll put some stuff, stuff, some old you know, t-shirts and stuff in that I have because I still, I was sitting on, um, yeah. after we did a, a show, like a whole case of, of like, uh, of, uh, like swag, you know, and, and yeah, in the garage. It's, yeah. Uh, and I just started, I just started giving it away. It was like no, a lot of, it was like it was silly. Somebody asked me recently, they're, they're, they're like, my daughter's a big fan of downtown harvest. Do you have any t-shirts or anything left? I was like, sure. Just give me your address. If that's cool. And then yeah. like um, a couple of days later, I just drove by, you know, and dropped off a bag worth, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, he was like, how much I owe, for, owe you for it? I was like, I take it, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was already paid for 10 years ago. <laughs> okay. You know, it makes me yeah. happy give it to a kid too because it's like at least that it means something to this another generation you know i mean that's another story that's great to tell um yeah and as long as they they have access to your music then they're gonna they're gonna that that means so much to them they're gonna turn around and then they're gonna play it for their friends yeah. that's gonna equal at least one more fan that person's gonna do it and it just it just keeps spreading it's such a crazy crazy thing I'm, I'm really excited about this new song too that you have um so like this is go this is the first single off the new album that you're currently recording right Mm -hmm. so way back home when you listen to the song which you did at the beginning of the show i mean it just makes you feel happy right so you know i, I would say that the saturday um session yeah. that you're doing those songs were cheery songs but nowhere near the cheeriness of this like when i hit play i was like damn dude Walt's going full you know, <laughs> well like, well there's a trick that i do it there's a trick that i do in there uh, and I, and I, I've come to a point now where I won't ever say anymore what a song is about because I want people to yeah. kind of make their own things up and, and assign their own memories to the song because that's where the value in my mind lies is when we, if I close my eyes and I think of Blind Melon, for example, who I'm a big Shannon Hoon fan, I think of a very particular point in my life where I had my orange camper hippie bus with Blind Melon hand painted on the back and uh, I'm just listening to Tones at Home. Such a great you know, song. It's yeah. actually one of my favorite albums that the bass, the way that the bass guitar is recorded on that album, I don't know if it's just because they're brand new bass strings or something about it. That album, Spin Doctors, Pocket Full of Kryptonite album, two albums that the bass is just popping off on. You would never suspect it, but. I'll have to listen to the Spin Doctors record now. Oh, dude, yeah. It's, that era is so great, you know what I mean? Because it's such a, you know, a fantastic moment of time. But so, but yeah, so I buried some in all these songs. There's, there's some, there's some like even in that song. Um, if you really break down those words, not not necessarily necessarily saying something that great. It is about it is giving that feeling of of the sound of it. Yes, but uh, like most things on the surface, they they look attractive, mm. and then as you start to dive deeper, that that initial, uh, you know. I, it's almost like a con, right? Because mm -hmm. the the beauty kind of draws you in, and then as you start to play, pay, peel back the layers, there's there's some ugliness going on there. There's some things happening, and and I think that's just the human experience in general, you know. It's like it's falling like, in love. All good songs are like that, though, in a way. I mean, like one could argue that you know, whereas Nirvana's music was like a beat, it was a lot of dark shit going on there. You know what I mean? Like, 
sometimes you know even like uh some of freddie mercury's songs are pretty dark that were really poppy you know in a way like lyric wise it's crazy how you could you could flip a switch on somebody like that you know what i mean like oh i wrote i mean i wrote i think i even may have talked about this the last time i wrote um i wrote a love song it didn't make it onto the like magnets record but i wrote what sounds like a love song the whole song but the whole song is about hitting my head on a pipe in my basement oh that's the best so and and you know and if you break it down and you start you know it's the first verse is uh i should have looked paid attention to it but every day it's in my way i've grown accustomed to it it happened before the pain it shot right through me and just like then i grabbed my head just as it started to play do, 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 do. <laughs> and it just keeps going on but um but just that idea of um I mean, that's that's what that's what we do you know I mean, that's, um, I mean, I mean, you wrote, you wrote a song about a, about a baseball player. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and and it's like, it's either we create, um, create, he he was a baseball player. I didn't know Alexander. We just made this guy up, Alexander Hayes. And then later we found out he was a baseball player. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's even better. We had no idea. But yeah, I mean, like sometimes the songwriting process, I miss, uh, writing with people like in the in the interim you know this, this uh quarantine period you know i picked up piano and drums like i I wanted to learn something new and i wanted to try to just do something to challenge myself and like drums was always something um that i always wanted to do i mean i played bass and now like being a drummer like i realized that uh, i picked the wrong instrument man you know what i mean i should have been leading the band you know what i mean the drum is mm-hmm. so important as we mentioned with town hall i mean like just like you were saying when you hit that splash on the wand you know what i mean the whole room would drop you know like because there's so much energy in it you know um so yeah i'm still challenging myself at age 40 you know what i mean like just keep learning you know like and we have youtube now for christ's sake so anybody can do anything you know what i mean like have you played- i mean it's almost it's almost like you just came full circle around here because you started out about the whole thing about learning um you know, and, and it really is an important thing. Like I always relied on um, incredible musicians around me, guys like Nick or Mark um, or even Robbie Bennett in, um, in Automatic Fire. And, um, you know, these guys were great. They were incredible musicians. And I was like a, an average guitar player, but I wrote songs and I wrote them a lot. So I, but I might not be able to keep up with most musicians around me that are much much better at navigating the instrument than I am, but I can usually outright everybody yeah, but, song for song pace wise. And, uh, but now it's like the past a couple of years, as I've become my own motor, so to speak, it's forced me to, um, I remember Chuck tree said it to me, we were recording last November on one of the songs for this. And I was having a difficult time getting something and we were listening back together. And he's been such a great teacher just without saying anything, just from his playing style on drums has just forced me to get better. And uh, I just remember saying like, this is just fucking hard. Like I'm not getting this right. And, um, and it comes down to the learning process. It comes down to, it comes down to at that point you want to do one or two things, give up and walk away or dive into that curiosity start swimming in that possibility that like, all right, I don't, I don't know everything about this. How do I get better? And it's led to really for me, a a renaissance in in understanding the instrument, learning the instrument and 
I'm diving into music theory again for the first time in a long time. Um, you know, even in that song way back home, there's actually three key changes in it. And you probably only hear one because I snuck them in. The bridge completely changes keys. Right, yeah. And then the, cho the chorus directly after that is it, it's in the same key for the bridge, but it's not the key that the original chorus was in. And then we go back into the, the key again that, that it started out with. But it sounds like it's uplifting because I just I use the uh, basically you know the wheel of fifths and um, a thing called secondary dominant to okay yeah to like just trick the ear and so it sounds like it sounds like it does this jump at the end of the song but it's really just going back into the same key it started in I love it's full circle uh, yeah it's key it's it's geeky stuff but it's like I, you know it's I love it I just love it I love learning it I love being taught it when they don't know um, you know I mean. One thing that needs to be said, though, without a doubt, though, I mean, like, you know, it's hard to be a lead singer. It's hard to be a lead singer, and I really don't think that it can be taught, and, like, that is the case with you, and that's probably why you're getting those letters still from South America, is because, like, when you get on stage, like, you, you got to be a certain way, you know what I mean? You can't, you have to be 100%, no matter what. It's almost like being a school teacher, in a way. If you're a good teacher, like, you've got to be on top of your shit in front of that classroom, because you're going to lose the audience, you know? Looking back at all of those wonderful performances, I mean, like, you know, from, even from the one, the automatic fire on top of the, of the, you know, the, on top of the bar. I remember one time, I think we opened up for you guys at the TLA, you had the room packed. Looking back at the plethora of memories, like which show stands out to you as being the most special? Does it have to be like a massive show? Like, you know what I mean? Like, is there a memory in there? Yeah, there was a festival uh, that I always look back on, or two experiences. One was we sold out on our first trip to Japan, two nights at a thousand seat club called the Liquid Lounge in Tokyo. And we were doing a short run of Tokyo, Nagoya, Osaka. Um, there was one other one in there that I can't remember right now, but Tokyo, the two nights in a row, um, really, 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 really took my breath away because it was my first time in, um, in a country that didn't speak English which sounds insane, like, because I, and I've been to Mexico, but they would speak a little bit of English there. Yeah. In Japan, it was some English, but predominantly Japanese. Yet the minute we would walk on stage, they sang every word in English, and it blew my mind. It, it was like a humbling experience, and it opened up my mind. It blew, to this day, I'm still quasi-obsessed with Japanese culture as a result of that trip. Um, so I think that, that the first night at, at the Liquid Lounge really blew my mind. It was a thousand people packed to the rafters, small, smaller club in terms of not like a just not like a like a bar gig like we had done so many of and I know I know you have it as well, but it was um, it felt like the first time that we had sold out the TLA when I was eighteen. It a lot of energy in the room, a lot of energy, yeah. excitement and just it was palpable and it was a dance between myself and the audience. They ripped my clothes off me when I jumped to crowd surf and mm -hmm. to this day, I never got my clothes back, which was just, it was such a crazy experience uh, that I can, uh, I have a hard time even processing it. The other one was in Florida. We were uh, on tour with Shinedown. We toured with Shinedown probably more than any other band. Um, it would just, we became very good friends with them. And if we were running out of a tour, like we were coming to the end of Van Halen or Alice Cooper or, Motley Crue or Godsmack tour, we would call them up. Literally, I would call Jason and be like, hey, man, you, 
what are you guys up to next month? And they'd be like, well, I'm going to be out going to a picture show. If you want to come join us, going to be up to Troy, Michigan. Like, mm-hmm. All right, I'm in. And then I would call my booking agent and they would work it out. We'd jump on another leg with Shinedown. And we, they played a lot in Florida because that's where they were from initially. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a radio festival. And it was, 11, it was the 11th show day in a row, which is rare. But every now and then stuff like that would happen. Yeah. 11 shows in a row, packed back, 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 back. And that was the 11th one. And I could barely sing like anything remotely close to like in my normal voice. Mm-hmm. And I walked on stage thinking, this is going to go to shit. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to ruin my reputation as a vocalist. It's just going to be really bad. Uh, my band's going to hate me. This is all going through my head as I'm walking on stage. And um, Nick, my guitar player, sees me, and he could, we just know each other intimately but, you know, at that stage in the game. And, and he just looks at me, and he just calls over our drum tech, and he goes, get him five shots of Jack yeah. right now. And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. He's like, no, you're not. You need this. Don't. So I, so I basically do you know, five shots, and then they get me a six-pack. They throw it. I get hammered out of my mind it becomes a great set and this really crazy moment happened that I probably could never duplicate a million years if you paid me. This large outdoor festival, I ran out of beer finally, near the end of our set. And I said, in all stupidity, over the microphone, can anybody get me up and drink? And a, a hell of plastic beer bottles and plastic cups came flying down like rain just on onto the stage it was nuts and all my eyes locked on now i'm hammered at this point mind you my eyes locked on one keg cup keg cup (laughs) from like middle of the audience i catch it i can't even get the camera like like this i catch it like this like on the top of it Mm -hmm. not the bottom i catch it like that and for like one second, it felt like the entire audience and myself had frozen time. Like, that's what it felt like. Everybody just looked, and then I just went, bang! And the place just freaking erupted. It was like, it was nuts. And I had never quite experienced to this day a moment like that where we were, just, everybody was just locked in unison, the audience, myself. And it was such a weird shared moment that... Uh, it blew my mind all over a beer being thrown. You know, you think such a stupid yeah. thing, but it was a, it was a, it was a heavy thing for me at the time because I just, I was walking in with such negative aspirations and feelings and fears and to have all of those just leveled by a beer. Yeah. That's insane. Right. And like also to the way that the person threw it, you know, like there's so many factors also too, like the person choosing to drink beer, not, you know, wine cooler or something else. There's so many different things. Dude, in a keg cup. How do you throw it? How do you throw a keg cup? I, I've, I've seen videos of this actually before where keg cups are thrown. It's because of the aerodynamic shape of it. <laughs> there must have been like a quarter of the beer in there, right? Yeah, it was like, it was like yeah. that, yeah. Think about it. It's like a little weight at the bottom. And you throw that thing, if you get the yeah. right hook on it, it's like throwing like um you know like a baton or something you know what I mean it's yeah. kind of- I mean he could have started it could have started out as a full beer and I wouldn't have even known yeah, that's a, that's you know? a good memory you know what I mean um 
you know, I, looking back at all those all those stories, I mean, like one could say that, I mean, that's the chock full, like ready for a book. Do you ever think about putting together your stories and putting a novel together? Never even thought about it. You write it all? I, not not like that. I mean, I've written, you know, journal stuff or um, or small things. I've never attempted to write. Um, it's tough. It's tough to write. Just a few pages. I think. Uh, well, I know um, John Fay from Ike has been writing a book now. I think like two yeah. I can't read to read that one. I mean, like to see like the perspective. But dude, I'm I'm so happy you came back on the show. Uh, I mean, the song "Way Back Home" was such a like a surprise. I, you know, when it came up on my Facebook feed, like especially with like the the recent. You know, what's great too. Well, the fact that this last hour we didn't speak about any negative stuff. Like we spoke about stories, <laughs> no current events to bring us down. You know what I mean? When I saw the song on Facebook, it brought a smile to me. I was like, oh, he's still doing his thing, man. It makes me happy. You know what I mean? Because I always I was a big fan of that. Like I'd wake up and look on YouTube on sunday or monday morning like to see what you created on saturday nights and like oftentimes it made me crave wine you know what i mean i was like man i'm really a glass of red wine right now <laughs> um, but i'm super I don't, even, I don't even know if manischewitz classifies as red wine but yeah, i think one night you were just you had something out i forget was it was it it's usually manischewitz i'm a big yeah. fan of, of sweet things so how are you um so i'm totally stoked there's a, m more music coming on the horizon then Yes, yes. We already have most of the record um, recorded, at least drums and bass. Um, most of those were done, um, and then kind of COVID shutdown happened, you know, put the brakes for a little bit. Uh, Dave Ivory and I focused on kind of um, doing overdubs and stuff like that on the songs that we had done. Oh, cool. Um, actually, the second release were, is just coming back from mastering, like, in the next day or so. Oh, cool. And um, as soon as I get that back and we get approval, then that'll, we'll start getting ready to launch that one. That one's going to be called uh, The Sky. Um, and it's about self-limiting, you know, thoughts and stuff. But, um, but yeah, so in, uh, the whole record, um, the whole record, um, I've, I'm naming it Tarsdale, which is the neighborhood that I was, my parents had moved to when I was about 14. And, and um, just a cool area. It's total full circle. We did a lot of full circling here with our dad. We did. You know what I mean? Yeah. We, did a lot. we covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of different time periods. Uh, I'm super stoked for that music. I'm super stoked and grateful to have met you all those years ago. And, you know, getting a chance to briefly uh, meet your family. I haven't met your uh, daughter yet, but uh, your son River is a really cool dude. I, I miss his uh, statements on Facebook. He had such vast knowledge for his young age. His wisdom was <laughs> infinite, you know? I'm sure he, like, he may not play a musical instrument, but maybe one day he'll change the world. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that's That'd be nice. You know what I mean? If he's the next Gandhi, then so be it. Um, totally stoked to have you back again. Um, definitely come back on the show. I, I hope to see uh, more music videos and more material from you, my friend. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, I want to get this to you. Uh, okay, you get let, this me, thing? let me see that. I could. You just put it into the blur? Oh, my God. What number is that? Uh, this is 163. Uh, for the people who are listening, he's showing me a Batman copy 163 which is the joker like he's got his blue screen on right now so i can't really i'm gonna try and i'm gonna try and get rid of the um the screen thing real quick cover though because i've studied the, most of the joker covers out there and i appreciate you getting me a gift dude let me see i have i have nothing uh, to see. Here, I can uh, here we go ready yes i'm now um, close all right oh, that's a sexy cover look at that oh the jokers 
That's great. You know, I was just talking about on the the previous episode, we we're just talking about comic books and how, I mean, I, I still like venture out like maybe once a month to go buy some and, and still continue to read stuff, you know? Interestingly enough, I just finished reading this Joker book where it talks about the Joker back in that era right there was more of a criminal and not so much of a clown or a comedian. And he was more methodical. Like I'm, I'm crazy with it, man. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to get old. Okay. All you have to do is continue to surround yourself with good people, things that you love. Mm. You know what I mean? I appreciate that. That's Thank a good you. one. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, definitely check out Walt's music. It's listed down below. You can listen to that song right now on Spotify. Tune in next couple of days. Some new music come from Walt Lafty. My name's Bob, and this has been another episode of Bobcast.